All right, so we're gonna jump in today that the idea that our self-worth and our self-image are very much tied to what fears show up in our life. Very, very much tied to. In fact, you can tell a lot about a person's self-image and self-worth by what fears they allow to control their life. When fear grips our life, it's a perfect time to take assessment and wonder and to notice and to find out what fear is causing us to an imbalance in our self-worth and our self-image. So there's six basic fears that we can all kind of relate to. There's the fear of poverty, we'll talk about that, fear of criticism, fear of ill health, fear of the loss of love, fear of old age, Many of us fear that fear every day as we look in the mirror and see a little bit of wrinkles setting in, those crow's feet, I'm not so sure we're, we're liking what we see. And then the other one is the fear of death. And we're gonna cover the last three next week. Today we're gonna park the car on three of the top fears, fear of poverty, fear of criticism, and fear of ill health. So scripture admonishes us to fear not. We hear it actually written out, we see it actually written out over a hundred times, depending on your translation. Depending on the stories that you see written in the Bible, it might not explicitly say fear not, but the idea of combating fears is written 365 times. So this is a big Bible idea that we would fear not. If you have your Bible, Romans chapter eight and verse 15, one of my favorite verses in dealing with fear, and it says this, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship in which we cry, Abba, Father. That you and I have been grafted into the family of God. We're no longer to be afraid. We're no longer to fear. We're no longer to fear as slaves fear a master, but we are grafted into God's family. Being grafted into his family, we cry, Abba, Father, or we understand the deep-seated relationship that we have with our God, and there's no reason to fear. So the first fear I wanna to tackle today is the fear of poverty. Now, I have a hard time uh, uh, kind of understanding the fear of poverty in our context, right? So in our context, we're, uh, we're Northern Americans, we're Americans, we live on probably the greatest, in the, probably the greatest nation in the world, probably the greatest nation that the world's ever seen especially as an economic power. I think we're spending more money and we're getting paid more than any generation before us. In fact, wages are still going up. And the idea that we would fear poverty in that, in that environment just, just bends to the idea that it's a basic fear. It's a basic fear that we'll run out of money. It's a basic fear that we won't have enough. It's a basic fear that we'll be impoverished and it doesn't just come with finances. Sometimes we're afraid we won't have, we'll be impoverished in other areas. We'll be impoverished in our health, in our relationships, but the idea of poverty or lack is real and many, many, many people face it on an ongoing basis. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter eight, and verse nine says this, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that through poverty he might become, or that we might become rich. So this is the words of the scripture. These are holy written words that Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. He gave up his kingly status, lowered himself to a human, didn't have the, the, the wealth of heaven at his disposal here on earth the way that he did when he was living on, in heaven at the right seat of, or the right hand of God. He gave all that up, impoverished, 
so that we could become rich. Yet many of us fear the idea of poverty. And rich is relative, right? Rich is always a relative term. Whatever's rich to one person isn't rich to another person. If you look uh, currently, I think it's the Mega Millions lottery, and I'm, t and I'm not telling you to go play the lottery, but this week would be a good idea. It's just reached over half a billion dollars. And trust me, if you win, I will take your tithe. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna shy away from that. You would too. But the idea is that this massive amount of money is on a marquee and somebody's gonna win it or maybe multiple people and their lives will instantly be transformed and what they saw as poverty and riches will have a new definition. They'll have a, a sudden new definition of what, of what poverty and riches are instantly because their lifestyle will be changed. See, each of us have a different definition of poverty and riches, but whatever it is for you, it always comes to the station of, am I fearing lack or am I fearing a shortage of finances and resources? And I don't believe we have the right or even the responsibility to fear poverty because we have a God who's already impoverished himself. We have a God who's already laid it all out on the altar and said, I've paid the price so that you can have what you don't think you can have. See, fear of poverty is one of the biggest ways we turn off our purpose because we fear that if we step out into the great destiny that God has for us, there won't be enough resources. There won't be enough money. There won't be enough time. There just will be impoverished and boxed in by limitations of resources. And God's expecting us to go beyond that, to conquer that fear. There's a biblical, biblical definition of poverty is very, very strict. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15, it says it like this, the ruin of the poor is their poverty, not their bad habits, not their heart issues. The ruin of their poor is literally the poverty that they're living in. The poor, they're hated even by their neighbors. That's a strong statement. But we see it every day of the world. We see people drive by folks who are impoverished and give excuses as to why they are impoverished rather than, rather than lending them a heart or a help. We see folks who give all kinds of reasons why the poor are in the state they're in rather than helping and giving a helping hand. The Bible says it's a true fact. It's one of the reasons we fear poverty, that folks will turn on us at times if our life is too impoverished. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse seven, it, a very, very, very strong language about poverty and the poor. But the Bible also says that blessed are the poor for they'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. See, we forget that the Bible lays a clear and, and cut dividing line that finances or lack of resources or a poverty state is not for us to live in and that beyond the poverty-stricken state that we might find ourselves living in, that God can rescue us and restore us and bring us out of it so that we don't have to fear being looked down on, so that we don't have to fear being a dredge on society. And that's not how we as Christians should even look at the poor, but the Bible's truthful in saying that that's how many people do. Not that it's right, but it's what happens. And many of us, we fear that state. We fear being looked at as someone who's a taker and not a giver. We fear being looked at as someone who's not responsible. And so then we fear this idea of poverty and in fearing poverty, we never step out in our full purpose and potential. We never really go after what God's called us to because what if the money doesn't come in? We never really go do what God's called us to because what if the plan doesn't work out? 
We never go after that education that God's calling us to because it will add to our debt and our bottom line. We never go after that business that God's put in our heart to birth because what if the finances don't work out? Listen, he's already made a way. The Bible says he's already became poor so that we can become rich. All we have to do is start to live in that space to get away from the idea that there's lack of resources and move into the place where we know God will provide. That if we'll step out and do what he's called us to do, that he will provide. There are so many stories, one after another through scripture and one after another through personal life experiences that point to the idea that once someone recognized their calling and their destiny, that when they stepped out in it, the provision was there. That the provision was there. But how often do we allow the fear of poverty to choke the life out of us? How often do we allow the fear of poverty to choke a dream out of our heart. We know we should go for it. You know, there are folks, even in this room today, who have defeated the fear of poverty, at least to one level or another. And they've said, you know what, I'm gonna take a step of faith and start my own business or get that education or move on a different track of business so that God can bless my life because I know that's ultimately what he's calling me to. And they faced the fear of poverty head on and went after their God-given dream and purpose anyway. You know, there are some folks who failed multiple times, but they still picked themselves up, dust themselves off and went after it because they knew they couldn't fail forever. They knew that even if they failed once, that that didn't mean they would, they're destined to fail a second time. The fear of poverty is akin to a fear of failure. Biblical definition of poverty is strict and it's hard, but it points us into a different direction that we should become victory conscious. That we should be people who live in this idea or this doctrine that we preach of Christus Victor, that Jesus Christ is the victory. That everything that we could have need for in this life, he has already paved the way. He has already won the battle. He has already made available to us. That he is, he is the victory. That if we accept Jesus into our life, that we are accepting in the victory over any shortcoming, over any lack. 2 Corinthians again, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. That through his poverty, that the richness of God might flow because he took on the sacrifice that we might experience God in a way that is abundance. In fact, we read earlier that we would call him Abba, Father. That's what it is to call him Abba, Father, the God who supplies, the God who gives, the God who gives even before there's a need. In the Great Depression in the 1930s, millions of Americans lost their wages, they lost their employment, they lost their bank accounts, and the worry for money was at an all-time high. Yet we live in a time and a space where economically we're doing better than ever, or so they tell us. Economically, it looks like things are going great for this country and things are on the rise, yet there are so many of us that still live with the fear of poverty. And I know that we can't always plan for tomorrow and I'm not denying that there are economic hardships at time. I'm denying it's right to
to, de to derail your purpose. I'm denying its right to control your life. Economics and finances are so finite. They should not tell you what you can do with the dream that God has put on your life. You should go to him first and his calling only, and that should be your only motivation. Not will the money work out, not what do I do if the money's not there. No, you go and do what God told you to do. It doesn't mean you're not prudent with your finances. It simply means you can't be led by something as insignificant as money. Money doesn't tell you the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. Only he can deposit that into your heart by the Holy Spirit. So we need to change our, our mind's perspective. We need to change our mind, mind's perspective to becoming victory conscious. When we get to the state in life where we accept poverty, we say things like, I'll never have enough. I'll just never have enough. We say things like, I need to be content in my current situation. Contentment is one thing. We need to learn to be content. But contentment doesn't mean that I have voided myself from all dreams, all goals, all purpose, all destiny. Being content isn't about saying there aren't better days ahead. Being content is saying I'm content where I am, but I know that God has a purpose and a plan for my life that's larger and bigger than what I'm living right now, and I can go after it. And it doesn't matter if you're nine or 90, this applies. The fear of poverty often becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where we muddle over the thoughts in our mind and in our hearts so often that eventually what we feared the most happens and poverty wrecks our life. I don't have enough money. And we keep thinking in our, in our mind and our heart that it's never going to change. My station's never going to change. My job is never going to change. The income I have is never going to change. And so it doesn't. And we live short of our potential. If we would change our minds and our perspective to being victory conscious and know that we have an abundant God who can supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory, we could refocus and reframe our life so that we can live free from the fear of poverty. This next fear is one that is very difficult for most people, and I put it right in the middle today because it hinges, and it is the hinge point for the fear of poverty and also for the fear of ill health. It's the fear of criticism. Fear of criticism. The fear of what will they say, right? The fear of criticism is always about this idea that they are going to tell me that I can't, or they are going to tell me that I'm wrong, or they are going to tell me that it won't work out. There's this fear of criticism that's nagging in our heart. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, when Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He continued trusting himself to the one who called him. He continued trusting himself to the God who judges justly. Jesus had opportunities where people kicked back at him and said, you, you can't possibly believe you're the son of God. You can't possibly believe that you're called to this mission. You can't possibly believe you're gonna save the world. He didn't cut them back. Say, you don't know what you're talking about. He didn't push back. He didn't sink into that, that, that thought of criticism and say, maybe they're right. Maybe I can't be what God's called me to be. You know, it's an easy thing to compare ourselves to Jesus, right? Always, all the time, right? We're always gonna fit that standard in that bowl. Yet that's what the Bible calls us to. That we would become so steadfast in our purpose that when critics come and when the criticism comes, we can say, no, 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 you don't understand. I know what I'm called to. 
You might not like it. You might not agree with it. You might not understand it. The they sayers might be very, very loud, but it doesn't matter what you say about my life. I know what God's called me to do. And in knowing that purpose for my life, I have to go after it with everything that I have. Not that we should cut back and be negative back to these individual they-sayers. Not that we should tell the they-sayers they don't know what they're talking about and try to win the debate to the argument, but that we should be secure in he who judges justly. I've never really found out who they are anyway. You ever notice that the, the they-sayers, they, they say I can't do it, they say this is a bad idea, they say this isn't going to work. I've never really found out who they are entirely because they're imaginary beings, people who plague our minds. They're the whispers of thoughts and conversations that we've had around our, our circle of influence and, and all of a sudden they tend to seep in and direct us away from the purpose that God has for us. Now this is not about a, a discounting good and, 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 and godly advice. I'm not saying that we discount good and godly advice. In fact, we'll talk about that in Proverbs chapter 15 in a minute. But they, they stupefy enthusiasm. They cut down personal initiative. They destroy imagination. They make it practically impossible for you to accomplish anything above mediocrity because that's all they can believe for, for themselves. That's all they can entrust themselves with is the mediocre and the average. So they can't, they can't see anyone like yourself doing anything great with their life. You have a purpose, you have a destiny that is so much bigger than yourself, that is so much greater than what you're living right now. That purpose and that destiny cannot be cut short by criticism. It should not be cut short by those who would tell you what you can't do. A few years ago when my wife and I moved, I guess seven years ago when we moved from Pittsburgh, we had this house that we had owned for about a year and a half God had moved in our heart to move away from Pittsburgh, so we were gonna put our house up for sale. I contacted the agent who we bought the house from, and she said, well, you overpaid. I said, wait a minute. You told me a year and a half ago I got a good deal. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, the market's changed. It's a different market now, and it's just not a good time to sell. You need to wait. And I thought, you know what? I, I could take that, but I know what God's called us to do, so I need to put the house up. I put it up for sale by owner. There was a house next to us, who had been for sale for a little over two years. A couple walked in that house, they walked right out, saw the sign in our yard, asked if they could walk through our home. It wasn't, it wasn't done up well, it was just kind of the middle of the day. And I said, sure, you know, the house is for sale, so come on in. They came on in, they walked through the house, walked through the home, and the young lady came down the stairs, just tears in her eyes, and I knew we got a sale, hallelujah. Had a check in my hand. And I drove past that realtor's office laughing all the way to the bank because she was a they-sayer. You can't sell in this market. You can't sell right now. You can't possibly make more than, than you paid for it. All of those things weren't true. Not one of those things were true. We sold it. We sold the house in a week. We sold it without a realtor, so she lost out on a commission. And we sold it for more than we put into it, quite a bit more than we'd put into it. Listen, you don't have to look at people. When God tells you to do something, don't look at people's opinions. Only, only count on his word. And I don't pay people to tell me what I can't do. I can get what I can't do for free any day of the world. 
And you need to take that same attitude. You don't allow your boss to tell you what you can't do. You don't allow employees to tell you what can't be done. You don't allow people around your life to influence you in a way to tell you what you can't do, especially trusted voices. You always, always, always go to what God has called you to do. And what God has called you to do will work out far above their opinions every time, every single time. We have to kill this fear of criticism but it's linked very heavily to the fear of poverty because the fear of criticism says that if it doesn't work out financially, that they will be right and their words will have come true and they will be who I'm responsible to even though, though the, they are people we can't even mark. They're folks that are imaginary. They don't really matter. What's interesting is these same people, these same they-sayers have most likely never taken They've never taken on any challenge. They've never taken on any challenging thing themselves. If they did, they haven't taken on anything what you've challenged yourself to do. In fact, they can't see themselves doing what you've been called to do, and that's the reason they discourage you. They sayers look at life in their small context and say, I don't know that I could do that, so why should I believe that they can? To kill the fear of criticism, we need to come to a place where the they's no longer matter. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 31 says this, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the, among the wise. That there is life-giving reproof that God will bring to our life. There are those who God will put in front of us to help guide our path. That's not the same thing as a critic. That's a mentor, that's a coach, that's a guide, that's a wise voice. That's not the same thing as a critic. Critics just wanna tear you down and tell you what can't be done. Coaches will say, listen, let's reevaluate, let's rearrange, let's try to take a different position so that we can gain more ground. Critics just tell you it'll never happen because it can't happen through you. Their voice needs to be silenced and dead in your life, the they-sayers. We can't fear criticism anymore. There are so many critics. There are critics, there are constant critics, movie critics, political critics, critics on every level. Many times, most of them have never done what they're criticizing. They've never fulfilled the goal that someone else is trying to fulfill. I watch the Olympics every once in a while, and I love watching Michael Phelps because he's winning gold medal after gold medal, and all of a sudden, you'll hear the commentary, well, his stroke's a little off. How many gold medals has he won? A lot. How many gold medals have you won? Zero. Shut up. Anyway, that's how we have to look at our life. Why would we allow someone who can't get their own life straight, who's not living in their own destiny, who's not living in their own purpose, why would we allow them any voice at all in our life? If they won't live their purpose, if they won't live their destiny, if they won't live with what God has called them to, they're not a valuable voice, they're just a critic, you need to shut that voice down. We need to come to a place where we listen to life-giving reproof but we cut out critics for critics' sake. The next fear I wanna talk about is the fear of ill health. It's a fear we all, we all know very well. It 
It's the fear that stops so many people dead in their tracks of pursuing their dream. It's a fear that steals away from us potential because we think if we go do what God's called us to do, what if, what if that terrible thing happens? What if the trait of cancer that's in my family, God, what if it happens? What if I get, what if, what if I get sick? God, what if, what if, what if I can't make it through? What if I can't make it through the sickness? What if I can't make it through the ailment? What if I just can't shoulder the weight of the pain? A few years ago, many of you know, I, I tore a tricep tendon off both arms at the same time. Now I'd had a friend and a coach in, in helping me plant the church and a ministry coach who had planted nine churches in his life and Phil is a great man. One of the churches that Phil planted uh, during the time of planting it, he had cancer. He, he found out he had cancer. And he told me when we were planting the church, don't ever let the church see you sick. Don't ever let them see you sick because if you do, they won't come back. Because from his experience, the pastor who planted the church got up in front of his congregation and said, I'm sick, I'm gonna have to deal with chemo treatments and other treatments and, and, and my body's probably going to get weaker and weaker before it gets better. He's just being practical. And what happened was he saw many people fall away from the church during his time of sickness, and it shouldn't be that way. Now those, those thoughts were ringing through my head when I hurt my arms, but there was no way to hide it. I was gonna have a brace from my shoulder all the way down to my wrist on both arms, stuck out like Frankenstein. There was no way I was gonna hide it. So I was determined, I'll miss one Sunday, but that's it. I don't care how doped up I am on painkillers, I don't care if I make any sense at all from that microphone, and I don't think I did that first Sunday back. I said, I don't care what happens, I'm gonna put myself in front of that congregation to kill that fear, that fear of ill health. Because the idea was the fear of ill health said, you're not perfect and they won't take a leader who doesn't show perfection. And because they won't take a leader who doesn't show perfection, it'll kill the ark, it'll, it, it'll, it'll kill the momentum of your church. So what are you gonna do about it? The only thing to do about it, stand in front of fear and say, nope, you're not gonna have this one. You're not gonna win this battle. But so many people become hypochondriacs when it comes to ill health. At the slightest feeling of a sniffle, well, I can't do that now. I can't do what God's called me to do now. I gotta put it off for six months until this cold goes away. Or how many of us will see the commercials on television and think, well, the flu is coming, better get my flu shot. Listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't do the prudent thing. If that's right for you, get your flu shot. What I'm saying is deny, deny the, the right, deny the right of the thought of ill health to rule your life. Deny its right to rule your life. It doesn't get to take away your purpose. It doesn't get to take away your destiny. And then jump to what scripture says. Third John chapter two, beloved, I wish above all things that I may as prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. There are folks who will read this and say, that's just a general greeting. Come on. He's just greeting the, pe the people who are reading the, the scripture. No, I'm true, but no, it's not just general greeting. He's also pointing out a scriptural definitive that we can be in health and prosper even as our soul prospers. So as we are on this journey of the soul, as we are pursuing our passions, as we are pursuing the destiny that God has for us, we can live in a place that is prosperous and healthy. It's promised to us. 
Some folks get the sniffles and they run to the hills. Good God, I can't accomplish what he's called me to because look what happened. I stepped out in faith and now all I am is sick all the time. Beat sickness. Don't give up your dream. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 14. The Lord, uh, uh, Lord, heal me, heal me and I will be completely well. Rescue me and I will be perfectly safe. You are the one I praise. Psalms chapter 30 and verse two. I cried out to you for help, O Lord, and you healed me. Luke chapter four and verse 40. All those who had any, uh, all those uh, who had any who were sick with various disease uh, brought them to him and laying his hands on each of them, he was healing them. That's Jesus. So we have two instances that God, when I'm sick, when I'm worried, when I'm wondering about sickness, I'm calling out to God and saying, God, heal me. And then we see the reaction of God later as he wrapped himself in flesh and called himself Jesus, planted himself on planet earth. Then in Luke chapter four and verse 40, that every type, every ver ver uh, variety of disease he was laying hands on and healing. This last week, I had uh, the opportunity uh, to, to do a funeral, a homegoing service for a young woman in our church and their family. And she suffered for years, for two years, a little over two years from uh, ALS. It's a difficult disease. Very difficult as it kind of ate away at her body. During that time, she had every right to just give up and give up hope and say, this is it. I don't have anything left in me. I'm just gonna have to give in to the disease. But she fought. She fought with a purpose. In the middle of having this disease try to force her into a box. She said, I'm not gonna be controlled by the disease. She started an eBay company. She could barely move her hand enough to type on the phone to speak. And she had her husband take her to the Goodwill and mom and dad take her to the Goodwill, her sister take her to the Goodwill and they would shop for certain items that she was looking for. She knew the value and the price, spreadsheets all lined out that she worked on all the time. And she would plan out the shopping trips and she'd plan out the sales because she wasn't gonna let the fear of ill health dictate her life. Even though it was difficult and hard, even though many hands had to help to make it happen. She wasn't going to allow the fear of ill health and even what she was facing at the time dictate her purpose. She was gonna live above that. It's one of the things that will stick with me forever about Emily's memory, my memory of Emily that she was strong enough to say, no, no, no disease. You don't get to hold the reins, I do. Each one of us have that opportunity. I don't care if sickness is a part of your everyday life. I don't care if pain and hurt are a part of your everyday life. It might be difficult, it might be hard to struggle through, but that fear doesn't need to ruin you and run your life. That fear of ill health doesn't need to hold you back from doing what God's called you to. You might be doing everything you can just to manage that right now. Still have a goal and a purpose and a plan. Still have a purpose and a plan for where God will take you because you don't know the moment where, God, where God's power will heal you. This past week, it's funny, in this past week we've dealt with, it's not funny, it's, it's it, 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 tragically funny, I guess. We dealt with an individual who passed because sickness 
and how hard it was for that family to walk through. And fam, uh, Lori and I have a great friend who pastors a church in northern, uh, in northern Pennsylvania, the Erie area, who was found on the side of the road by his wife. He looked dead, went on a walk, laying there lifeless, called the ambulance over, pick him up and there's, there's no brain activity. They can't figure out what's wrong with him. His heart's beating, but no brain activity. His lungs are moving, but no real signs of brain activity. They take him to the hospital and he's in a coma. They don't understand why. They don't understand what happened. They first thought he was hit by a car. There's no bumps, there's no bruises. They don't know what happened. His grandkids come in and pray for him. His wife gets on Facebook and asks for prayer from everyone that she knows, knowing that Pastor Jim has a purpose. Pray for him and we pray for the family. And in a short amount of time, we're getting a report that they're starting to see some activity and that activity is growing. And then in a short amount of time, we're seeing him wake up after his grandkids come and pray for him. And then in a short amount of time, we're, we're seeing he's starting to eat his first bite of food and he's not totally coherent yet. And then in a short amount of time, he's making full sentences and now he's walking and within a span of 10 days, released from the hospital. Totally brain dead, no idea what happened, no idea why he was laying there to 10 days later, 17 days he's going home. Listen, it's a miracle of God. We can be caught up in the idea of the fear of ill health and how our, how our path will lay out in front of us. That if, 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 if we don't live perfectly whole and healthy, that, that what could happen? What could happen in this life? What, what could I lose? And, Maybe I don't start the journey. Maybe I don't start the education that I need to get because I'm afraid of what could happen. Something could go wrong. My body could give out. Maybe I'm afraid to start that business because, well, what if, what if something really happens in our family and someone gets sick and, and we just don't have the finances to manage it? What if? And we start to allow the what ifs of the fear of ill health to control our life rather than the word of God and destiny that he's put in our heart. I don't know your individual path and I don't know how hard it could be and I don't know how miraculous it could be because there are two stories that I was faced with this week. One was difficult and she pushed through and even in pushing through, she didn't allow the fear of ill health to dictate her life and the other was totally miraculous and I can't for the life of me, reconcile the two. But I know this, that that fear of ill health has no place in either story. That in either story, that fear of ill health has no place. And sometimes it's not for us to understand the nuances of what happened and why. Sometimes it's just for us to conquer the fears that want to come against our heart and our mind. Too many times these fears become excuse-itis. They become reasons not to do. And as I said before, the fulcrum between the fear of poverty and the fear of ill health is the fear of criticism because the fear of criticism says if you get sick enough, they're just going to tell you how bad it is. And if you get sick enough, you're not going to have people of faith around you to encourage you to build you up. The fear of criticism says that if you go after the dream that God has for your life and something happens and your body gives out, well, what will they say? Who cares? I'm at the place now in my life, and maybe I'm getting a little stubborn, maybe I'm getting old, uh, maybe I've seen enough life to understand. I don't know how it's all gonna work out perfectly. I wish I did. I wish I understood that tomorrow God was gonna do X, Y, and Z in my life, and I was gonna take path A, B, and C, and everything was gonna work out perfect. I wish I knew every individual step. You know, he never has shown me that. 
You know all that he's told me? Believe. Have faith. Kill fear. Fear not. Don't believe the lie that fear would put in your heart or in your mind. Don't allow it to have a seed that germinates, that destroys your purpose. There are all kinds of things that could happen, but why do we allow the fear of poverty, the fear of criticism, or the fear of ill health to derail us from our purpose? Why do we allow these fears to put a stranglehold over the purpose that God has for us? Listen, God has great things for each and every one of you, greater than you could possibly imagine. And again, I don't care if you're nine or 90, this message applies. You have an opportunity for greatness at every stage in life. The question is, will you eliminate and conquer the fears to step out to do what God's called you to do? If we are ever to really live in our purpose, it's because we killed, we decimated, we conquered these fears. They are fears that every one of us have to deal with at one level or another. And some of us deal with them because we are young and some of us deal with them because we are old and it doesn't matter the spectrum of age or gender or background that we find ourselves on. Each one of us must deal with these fears and some of us deal with them daily. My question is, will you give in to fear or will you live in the purpose that God has for you? The purpose is the ultimate thing that drives us and moves us and motivates us out of this pit because fear is a pit of despair. Fear is real. I'm not gonna lie. Listen, I'm analytical enough to know that if God said don't fear 365 times, there's a reason to fear. He wouldn't say it if there wasn't a reason for it. He said it because he's conquered the fear. He said don't fear because he's already made a way. He said, don't fear because whatever giant that could stand in front of you, he has a sling and a stone and you can take out that giant if you'll just use it according to your purpose. But we get caught up. We get frightened. We get pushed in a corner. And we allow ourselves to believe the lie that fear whispers, that the fear of poverty, that the fear of criticism and the fear of ill health whisper into our life. Today, you can be a champion and conquer that fear and it works very simply and very difficult. It's very difficult to, to overcome, and it's a very simple process. It's taking each one of those thoughts captive and one of those, each one of those emotions captive, as the Bible says, that we take each thought captive and we force it into the subjection of the word of God, of the person of Christ, that every thought that we have has to run through the Bible. And if it doesn't match up with scripture, then it's not our thought and we don't keep it. But any thought that would come to us the fear of poverty, there's gonna be lack in your life. No, the Bible says I'm blessed. The Bible says Jesus took on poverty so that I could have abundance. That's not a real thought. That's not my thought, fear of ill health. What could happen with your health situation? No, God says I'm healed. He says I'm whole. He says he paid the price. He says he bore my sicknesses and disease. We force the thoughts that come to us, even the thoughts of fear through through the word of God, and we see on the other side where they come out. Are we believing the promise of God or are we, are we caught in a fear in this life? Your purpose, your destiny matters. Your purpose and your destiny is only you can accomplish, but we have to conquer these fears to get to that place.